Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about an issue that is unfortunately very dear to my heart. I use the word dear loosely. (laughs) It is a struggle, and that is the difficulty when you have a child with OCD who can't eat. There is nothing more basic than eating. It's a life skill that needs to kind of happen, and when OCD attacks that, all bets are off. It is it is an uphill battle. It is very, very difficult. And I haven't done a lot of episodes. I think I've only done one episode on ARFID, partly because it's such a personal ongoing struggle in my family that I felt like I couldn't really speak on it. But I was on a road trip with my kids. <laughs> this is kind of funny. I was on a road trip with my kids. We were on our way back yesterday and I said, oh, you guys, I have a podcast episode I have to record. I have to do a YouTube video and I have to do a therapist and training video for the therapist, my AT parenting community. And I was like, I don't know what to do on any of those. Can you guys help me? And my kids had all these ideas, which is very appreciated. And my son actually said, mom, why don't you do a podcast on how to help kids who have a hard time with their OCD with eating? Because we've been working really hard on it. And hearing him tell me that, I thought that was it made me feel like it's good to talk about. And I did ask him, I said, you know, when I, when I go on there and I talk about those type of things that are really close to our family, I talk about our experiences. Is that okay? And we kind of, as a family had a conversation about that, you know, me sharing a lot of our family struggles. And I like to check in over and over and say, is that okay with you? I don't use your name, but is that okay with you talking about our personal issues? And he said, yes. All of the kids said, yes, it's okay. We don't mind. So that's why we're going to be talking about ARFID today. ARFID stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. And I will get on my soapbox about that diagnosis in one second. But before we get started, I do want to say thank you for NoCD for sponsoring this episode because they provide online OCD therapy for people who really, for anybody, but I do want to say also for people who, who can't access treatment and are in desperate need. They provide online OCD therapy in the US, the UK, Canada, and Australia. And if you've been looking for an OCD therapist, you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. I always think it's good if you're not sure if your child has OCD, call NoCD and get an assessment. You can just get an assessment from them and see where to go from there. So you can go to treatmyocd.com and the link is also in the show notes. Okay, let's get started with this really difficult topic for moi. And I think it's difficult because it's one of the topics where I feel the most insecure about. And I actually felt better, and hopefully this will make you feel better too, if you're dealing with, and I'll I'll talk about what ARFID is in a second, but I was looking for a therapist to treat my son. And apparently that's really hard when you know a lot of OCD therapists because have a dual relationship and it gets tricky finding your own support. And so when I was talking to some other OCD therapists about ARFID, 
they said, oh gosh, that is the hardest thing to treat. It is such a hard thing to deal with. And that made me feel better (laughs) as a parent and professionally that, yeah, this is legitimately one of, I think, the hardest treatment issues to tackle. So if you're a parent in the trenches dealing with a child who has OCD and it's really impacting their eating, please know that you're not alone and that, yes, this is legitimately a really difficult thing. So let's just break down really briefly what it is, how it shows up. And then I'm going to really talk to you on a personal level today about what we're doing at my house and we're still in the thick of things. So this isn't going to be a an episode that's wrapped up in a bow and delivered to you on a silver platter of these are the things you should be doing. And if you're doing these things, your child should be improving. It's going to be, I'm in the thick of it. And this is what we're doing. And, you know, things seem to be making progress lately, but this is what we're doing at my house. So let's just start with what it is. So ARFID is kind of a catch-all diagnosis. I've talked about this before. I've gone on my soapbox about it before. It stands for avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. I don't like it because it's a catch-all for multiple reasons why a child is having restrictive eating. So it's a diagnosis that says, yes, your child is having restrictive eating. They're avoiding food. They're not eating it. And it is not physical. And that's pretty much where it ends because you can have ARFID due to sensory issues. You can have ARFID because you had a traumatic experience, maybe choking. You can have ARFID for a lot of different reasons. I want to talk in this episode And even if your child doesn't have the type of ARFID that my child has, it still might help you see the general framework of what we're doing, because a lot of it doesn't make a difference. Although if the sensory issue is your primary reason for ARFID, I don't think this episode is going to help. We're not going to be talking about sensory. We're going to be talking about OCD, which would overlap for probably some ARFID induced anxiety. So with OCD, and ARFID, it can show up differently for each kid as well. So I'll talk about our experience, but it can be for really anything. So you can have an intrusive thought or feeling that doesn't make you want to eat. I mean, that's like the most simplistic way that I can put it, but it's going to manifest differently for each kid. So a lot of times people don't realize that OCD isn't always an intrusive thought. It can be an intrusive feeling. And I talk about that in different episodes when I talk about sensory motor OCD That's an intrusive feeling, not a thought or just right OCD. It feels like it's just not right. That's again, like an intrusive feeling that comes with a thought, right? And so disgust is actually a very common intrusive feeling. And there are kids out there who don't have an intrusive thought at all. Their predominant OCD trigger is disgust. And so they're just grossed out. They're just disgusted. So I have a YouTube channel for those of you that have been living on another planet. If you're listening to my podcast, not that my YouTube channel is like popular or famous, but if you listen to me, you should know I have a YouTube channel. The YouTube videos are for kids and teens directly. And I have one on disgust. I have one on sensory motor OCD. So if you go to my channel and there's a search button, you can type in these things and you can find the YouTube videos really easily. So you can type in sensory motor or type in disgust and that video should pop up. I'm bringing this up because I actually do have one on ARFID too. I don't think I call it ARFID because it's for kids, but I think if you search eating or food, I think it's food, if food disgusts you or something like that. So you can search it. But for a lot of people who have ARFID related OCD, the food is disgusting. 
and it can be disgusting or repulsive for different reasons. You can have RFID for lots of other reasons too, but in this episode, I'm going to just be talking about how it's showing up for my son because I'm going to be using him as kind of an example throughout this. This is more of a personal podcast episode about our life and what's going on over here. But really, you cannot be eating for a zillion different reasons when you're having an intrusive thought or feeling. So let's just put that out there that it can it can be very varied. So I'm going to go through a little bit about what we've been doing and what's been helping. The first thing you really want to do is it's really helpful to survey the land and know what you're dealing with. And I think the hardest part with OC, I'm, I'm going to not be referring to RFID anymore because I hate that diagnosis. I just want it. I just wish it was more specific. <laughs> it could be, they should probably have like different types, you know, like with ADHD, it's like inattentive type, or I feel like RFID should be broken out into different types, but that's either here nor there. But when your child is having restrictive eating due to OCD, you want to figure out what is triggering it. And you want to figure out, figure out the compulsions and safety behaviors. And so with any OCD or with any anxiety, I don't think we pause enough to really get lay of the land and say, what is triggering it? And by triggering, it it could be a fear. It could be a feeling. And then what are the avoidant behaviors or what are the compulsions that are happening? So the hard part with restrictive eating is you really need your child's cooperation and you really need strong motivation and you really need in a perfect, these are in a perfect world, right? You need a child who can articulate what is happening. That has been our biggest struggle is my son didn't have any of those. He didn't have the capability of communicating. Um, That was difficult for him. He was a very private person in the sense that he didn't really know how to express his emotions. And for a very long time, he made me feel like I was a psychological hypochondriac. (laughs) It really, it made me second guess everything because I thought, am I like, am I seeing anxiety and OCD in my children? Because that's what I do. You know, am I like projecting this onto my kids? And then when my son would say things like, I just don't like it, or I'm just a picky eater, or I'm just not hungry, or I just don't feel it. And I would like see what seemed like really overt compulsions, like him spitting out his food and, you know, it piling up like napkins piling up by his, by his plate. But then when I would ask him, he'd say, I'm just not hungry or that, that piece was just really chewy or it just didn't taste good. It made me second guess, triple guess, quadruple guess (laughs) what I was seeing. And I would say to my husband, do you think he has OCD or am I putting that on him? And my husband would be like, no, no, there's definitely something going on there, which really helped because most of the time, you know, he wouldn't have, he didn't really see as much as I saw. So that was really validating. So it is hard for those of you that have kids who are struggling to eat because your child may not really be expressive about what the problem is with the food. You might just be noticing that they're not eating, but you don't know. And so we have to start with there. So I'm going to start with two different things. We're going to talk about the clinical work. And when I say clinical, I don't mean that you as a parent can't do this, but more of the therapeutic aspect of helping restrictive eating. And then I'm going to talk about safety measures because that's the struggle when you have a child with restrictive eating is not only do you have to worry about the therapeutic approaches and building skills like you do with any other OCD, but now I got to worry about his health, his weight. We got to go to doctor's appointments. We need to talk about medication. 
it brings in a whole nother element that isn't always there. Sometimes it is, but it isn't always there with other themes and issues. And just because your child has restrictive eating doesn't mean they don't have a a million other themes. We have actually quite a few predominant themes. I didn't realize how predominant they were until we've been, I've been trying to take my kids on a lot of trips this summer because I knew it would be a hard summer, their first summer without their dad. And so, you know, trying to travel a lot. And the side note of traveling a lot has been that I'm noticing one, just how bad his restrictive eating is. And two, that he has a lot of other issues that are going on. Because when you travel with your kids, sometimes you become more aware of their anxiety and OCD because you're one, you're with them all the time. And two, it's like moving and all these new experiences can be very triggering. So that was eye-opening for me, but we are having a good time. I mean, it is really hard since the death of my husband to travel alone. So definitely pushing myself out of my comfort zone, but it was really cute yesterday or the day before on our way home. My daughter said, this has been the best summer. And that's saying a lot since it's really sad because dad's not here. Cause I have, I have really, <laughs> I think I've overscheduled this summer. So we are doing a lot of stuff, but it has been concerning because it really has highlighted my son's restrictive eating and how, how difficult this is, but he is getting more articulate about it. He said the other day, mom, even if I had my worst, I can't remember how he phrased this. Even if I had my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish OCD on them, you know, where it like is hard to eat. I can't, he said it more eloquently than that, but I thought it was really powerful that he's starting to verbalize just how difficult this is for him. Because ideally that we really need to get to that piece of motivating them and getting them to see the severity and the seriousness of this type of OCD behavior. So let's just talk about safety measures first, because I think that that's something that everybody can do regardless of where your child is at in their journey. So when you have a child with restrictive eating, and some of this will be really obvious, some of it you may not have thought about, but you really do need to get the doctors involved. So we have a pediatrician who does periodic weight checks, and he is up on the fact that my son has restrictive eating. Your pediatrician isn't going to know about ARFID, isn't going to know about OCD in this way, isn't going to understand it, but that doesn't mean you don't get, you can't educate your pediatrician. So definitely have your pediatrician. I do believe that if you are dealing with weight loss, you want to get a psychiatrist or a psychiatric nurse practitioner involved, even if you're not currently pursuing medication, you really want to be followed by a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse practitioner because it can get scary fast and you want that person on your team. So we have a pediatrician, we have a psychiatric nurse practitioner that I use. I did also go to a gastroenterologist, a GI specialist, and had him checked out there. We didn't continue with the GI doctor, although that GI doctor follows my daughter for celiac. And so we could always make an appointment again if we needed to. I will tell you about the medication that he put him on that really did is starting to help. It didn't at the time, but it is starting to help. So it is nice to have a GI doctor, God forbid, just in case we need to G-tube him or we also wanted to rule out any medical origin. And so with my son, we did a full GI workup. We did blood workup to rule out any medical because I didn't want to miss anything. So these are the safety measures to do. We also, a long time ago, got him assessed for PANS. So PANDAS and PANS, 
is something to look into if you're dealing with restrictive eating because ARFID, restrictive eating, is one symptom that can show up with pandas and pans. That was his predominant issue starting at eight months old when he had a really bad strep infection. I had a pediatrician at the time who said, you can't get strep at eight months, but he went into restrictive eating at eight months. For three months, he would only eat, and I know it's going to sound stupid, but he would only eat banana yogurt. And you might think, okay, at eight months old, like, okay, he likes banana yogurt, not a big deal. No, it was a really big deal because he would literally eat nothing else. He would not drink anything else. And so we had to have him monitored because I didn't know if you could literally survive without fluids on banana yogurt. And apparently, yes, you can. <laughs> so he had, so he was tested for pandas slash pans early on and he was diagnosed he was like given a preliminary diagnosis. It wasn't like a really gung-ho diagnosis. It was like, yeah, we think he has pants. <laughs> he didn't have the antibodies for strep or anything like that, but he presented with a lot of the symptoms of pants. And so we got like a soft yes on that. And really that didn't help at all because in my family, genetically, like our livers are very sensitive. I don't know if you can have a sensitive liver, but our liver count is goes up very easily. He actually just had to get blood work done on that again. I have um, Gilbert syndrome. I don't know if you know what that is. I'm not very up on that, but my entire family, our liver counts go really high. And that's only when we're fasting. I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> it's weird. But anyway, I really worry about how he metabolizes things. So I'm not going to go into his whole pan as pants experience. I'm just going to give you, cause that's not what this episode is about, but the lowdown is there's nothing we can do about it. He was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune issue, which runs rampant in my family. My daughter has celiac. Uh, my sister has Crohn's. It's just rampant diabetes rampant in my family. So inflammation and OCD, they like to hang out together. I think we'll know a lot more as research progresses, but there's definitely something going on with inflammation and OCD and autoimmune issues create inflammation, strep infections create inflammation. So anyway, I'm sorry to make a long story longer, but get your child tested. If you're concerned about that, and you can always go to, I think it's what pandasnetwork.com. Let me hold on a second. Yeah. Pandasnetwork.org and just look at the symptoms and get tested if you are seeing several of those symptoms. Doesn't matter for us because he can't take any medication. It, like there's nothing that can help with that. He doesn't need to take thyroid medication right now because we get him checked all the time. And even though he has Hashimoto's, there's no medication that he needs right now. And so it's not like we can really fix that. We can give him Motrin to stop the inflammation, but we did gene testing and he doesn't metabolize Motrin very well. And so that's to me dangerous. And I'm not a doctor, so I have no idea. Some of you might be listening who are doctors and are like, well, no, that's okay. I have no idea, but I don't want to give emotion all the time. I didn't see it in really improving. So the bottom line is we're still stuck with just dealing with this OCD in a very traditional way, which we still need to do whether our kids have pandas and pans. The OCD part has to be dealt with in the same way that it would be dealt with anyway. So we're back in the same boat. So safety measures, have a team of doctors, right? So we do, you know, there is a really good pandas clinic in the Valley that he has been a patient with. So we could always go back there if we needed to We have a psychiatry component. He does have a therapist, but that is, she's not an OCD therapist. She's there to support him and help him communicate, which has been huge. And we'll go more into that as I break down my story further. That's been critical in his ability to articulate what's going on with him. And so I'm glad that he is seeing her. Okay. So you want to do your weight checks. You want to get friendly with protein shakes. <laughs> 
And, you know, I'm sure a lot of this, for those of you that are in the trenches with me, you're, you're doing all this already. Get a good scale at home. Don't weigh your child too much because it can make them self-conscious and we don't want them to hyper-focus, but we have to do weight checks anyway. We're doing virtual sessions with the psychiatrist right now and well, she's a psychiatric nurse practitioner. So I bought a really good scale that I can depend on and I'm charting it. So you got to be a good data collector because these kind of issues can skew your perspective. So get an Excel spreadsheet or something and start collecting data. So I keep track of his medications and his weight periodically. And I try not to do it too much because I don't want hyper-focus on that for him and his self-esteem because he's very self-conscious about it. But I also don't want to not be on top of that. So that's an important thing. And I don't want to only me be on top of it. I want the doctors to be on top of it so that I have a professional looking at it and making sure that he's okay. Protein shakes, you can use Pediasure or the generic of Pediasure. Those are good. Just getting some calories into them. The tricky thing with using protein shakes is it can fill them up. And so I tend to use them in the times where I know he's like not going to eat anyway. I know in the mornings breakfast is really hard for him. So I know that it is maybe a protein shake or nothing. If you're really good in the kitchen, make your own protein shakes. That's not me, but that can help. If your child's really sensitive to different tastes, like my child is, I had an AT parent tell me about a protein shake, Kate Farms. So it's katefarms.com. They're not sponsoring the show. Oh, this would be a really good uh, episode to sponsor. They provide like plant-based tube feeding formulas and shakes. So that's another option. I did get, they're very expensive. I think you can get a, a prescription for it, but they are very expensive. And they are a little bit more in calories than like the Pediasure. I think there's like 40 or 50 more calories per bottle than Pediasure for the same amount of liquid. So that could really make a big difference for someone who's really counting every calorie. Taste-wise, they taste better. My son didn't mind. He thought that Pediasure was the same. And so for me, price difference-wise, we went back to Pediasure. There's also something that you can, there's um, this calorie stuff that you can actually put on food. There's a lot of products. And so finding ways to put calories on your child can be helpful. You have to be very careful though, when you do stuff like that, because for a lot of our kids, it's taste that is part of the problem. And so when we sneak in calorie enhancers, we can really mess them up in the sense that if we're not telling them, they can like lose trust in you, in you preparing their food, or we can make them not like their food even more because it tastes funky, but it genuinely tastes funky. And even those that say like, they are odorless and tasteless. A lot of times for our kids, that's not true. So you have to be really careful with that. Okay. That's the safety measures. Now I want to talk for the rest of the episode about clinical approaches, what to do. So my son has not been really able to fully open up to me and tell me what his triggers are and what his compulsions are until literally, I would say the last two months, maybe I think probably two months, maybe three months, maybe less. I mean, he's, he's gotten progressively better. So if you're not there yet, you might have to do a little guesswork and do this spreadsheet yourself, or you might have to just work on working on that communication with your child and talking about how OCD shows up in the different ways. So part of this episode style is just teaching you through telling you my own story. Um, and so I'm wearing more of my parent hat in this episode and not my therapist hat. So with my son, when he was not 
able to do exposures. He didn't want to do any exposures. I didn't really know. I could guess what was triggering some of his food issues, but it would change all the time. And he could eat one thing at one time, but then he couldn't the next. And so it's not like picky eating, like, oh, they just don't like cheese or they just don't like chewy foods. It's like it morphs and changes. And that's how you know it's OCD. It doesn't make sense and it shifts all the time. And so for him, it started out with like intrusive thoughts that were very irrational. Like he thought his food, you know, at first I think we thought he was vegetarian because he was worried like if he was eating meat, where is, where did this come from? It's a cow. I can't eat a cow. Maybe he's watching me from heaven. So I thought he was just a really sensitive kid, but then it morphed into like, I can't eat this Cheeto. Maybe this Cheeto's upset that I'm eating it. And he's, you know, not on the spectrum, a highly intelligent kid, but OCD doesn't make sense. But then it morphed into, he moved away from that completely. And then it was just like, this food looks disgusting. What is that part? Or it tastes weird. It tastes disgusting. Then it moved away from that. And then it was more like, it's too chewy. Now, this is, the, this is the area where I think people and professionals get confused. When it starts to attack how chewy it is or how it feels in their mouth, a lot of times we say, oh, it's a sensory issue. He's got sensory processing disorder. No, he never had that issue before. So when it just shows up, because my oldest, my 17-year-old, I feel like the universe has given me a sampling of everything. <laughs> so my 17-year-old, she has sensory processing disorder. It was a battle from the get-go from the time she was born, when it just pops up and all of a sudden this food is too chewy, I can't swallow it. I'm afraid of choking. That is not a sensory issue because there's a, it's, there's a fear related to it, but your child may not be able to articulate that. So that showed up too, but he would do exposures here and there if I really pushed him, but really wasn't pushing himself too much because he was so overwhelmed. And so we wound up putting him on Cyprexa as a side effect, just makes you really hungry. And so we put him on that to boost his appetite and it worked very well. It worked so well that he was gaining so much weight so fast. He was eating nonstop. And because he was so, so hungry, it trumped his OCD thoughts and feelings. And so OCD like disappeared for a little while. He just was eating everything under the sun. And I started actually ironically get concerned. I was like, he's putting on too much weight too fast. He's getting some stretch marks. I don't know how healthy this is for his body. And he's really not learning how to beat his OCD. So I had some concerns and it didn't seem like that insatiable hunger was going to go away. And when I talked to the psychiatric nurse practitioner, she's like, yeah, it hadn't gone away. And she didn't feel like it was going to go away. That was going to be his life. He was starving all the time. So it was ironic that we were dealing with like the opposite issue at that point. And then he, he cried and he begged to get off of it. I can't handle this. I'm just starving all the time. It's like painful. My stomach hurts because I'm so hungry. So we took him off of that and we put him on Abilify, which is still in the same family of medicine, but it doesn't make you as hungry. And the hunger aspect of Abilify did not show up like Cyprexa did. Side note, it has really helped with his mood. Um, It is an antipsychotic. It is definitely helps with, you know, mood stabilization. And so it has really helped with his mood. So that's a good thing. I mean, we have a family history of bipolar mood disorders, anxiety, all sorts of things because we had tried Paxil and because he has pans, kids with pans and pandas are very sensitive to medication often. You have to be very careful. So he had activation syndrome, which did not go well. And so he can't take any SSRIs. So not to go down the rabbit hole of medications, but I think it's important to talk about when we're talking about restrictive eating, because 
it gets serious really fast. And so having a medication like Cyprexa that put on that much weight on him that fast was a godsend because it really was about, it was that, or he was going to be G tubed at that point. But then a few months ago we had to move him to Abilify. And so all that eating stopped and he was right back to square one. The difference is the Abilify still helped with his mood and his willingness to work on his issues. It did nothing for the OCD. He's on a very, 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 very tiny dose because again, he's super, super sensitive to medication. So when he's on something, he's on like the tiniest, tiniest amount where most psychiatrists would be like, that's not even like, I have to cut his one little pill into fours and he gets one fourth of it. Super tiny, but he's willing now to work on things. And so you do want to talk to maybe your doctor about medication options as far as helping with the appetite or helping with the OCD. The other thing that the GI doctor had put him on was uh, ciproheptadine, um, which is periactin. It's a generic of that. And initially when we tried this, it did not help at all. It's supposed to help with the nausea and increase the appetite a little bit. It's common with ARFID. So we had tried it a long time ago before he was on Zyprexa. It did nothing. But now, you know, he's getting it in the morning and he's getting it at night and it does take away the nausea enough for him to be able to eat. Whether that is somewhat of, you know, a placebo effect, I don't know, but currently that is helping him power through some really hard exposures and just basic eating. So if you are able to, when we are surveying the land, the first step is we want to create a spreadsheet and with our child, or if you're not able to by yourself, You want to list out all the triggers that is causing your child to not eat. So I sat down with my son because he was finally willing and I've been waiting. He's 11. I've been waiting most of his life for him to be able to work on this with him. Uh, The struggle with ARFID is if your child's not willing to work on it, your hands are really tied because it's not like you can't feed them. It's hard to not accommodate, you know, when it comes to like, sustaining their life and getting their calories. And so I feel like your hands are a lot more tied than in other situations. Now I know, I think Ellie Lee was in the space program is coming out with an ARFID based space program. I'd be interested to see that, but I don't know if I'd be able to stomach that because it is really hard when you know your child needs those calories. So I sat down with him and I said, let's, let's talk about all your triggers. And so we did it together because I noticed things and I wanted to explore that. So for him, his triggers were, and this is current, right? But it can change at any time. If the food is just looks disgusting. Now, sometimes it can look like a character. It can look like, I mean, it could be anything that makes the food look disgusting. So stop thinking rationally with your kids because it's not rational. (laughs) So, so many parents, I think, approach OCD in a really rational way. Why does the food look disgusting? You know, let me make it look prettier. Let me present it nicer. Stop. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It can look like a character from like a cartoon character. That was one time for him. It could look like pee or poop, or it could just look like there's some black spots on it. And so the more you try to like make it look better, you know, let me take that off. Or why is that a problem? You've already lost the whole essence of what OCD is. It doesn't matter. So for him, the triggers are, it can look disgusting, which could be anything. It can smell disgusting. It could taste disgusting. It could be all three. And then we get into other things. It can be too chewy. 
And when it's too chewy, so the rational side of a parent might say, okay, well, like I won't give him steak or I won't give him something that's really chewy. It's not rational. So that's why it's not sensory. I could give him one of his go-to foods. And most kids with restrictive eating have a few, very few sometimes, go-to foods. So one of his go-to foods, and of course his go-to foods are weird, so they're hard to find sometimes, but there are there's a brand of cream cheese wontons at Walmart that he will eat. And it is literally like a pastry puff with cream cheese inside. Cream cheese wontons, like a Chinese thing. And it's like air. It's very light and fluffy. <laughs> and sometimes that's too chewy for him. And he will eat steak without a problem often. So it's not rational sensory stuff. So too chewy. It might scratch his throat when it's going down is one of them. Another one is it will lose its taste. And so if it's tasteless, he can't swallow it. So the OCD makes up these rules and they're going to be different for each one of your kids out there, but you want to know what they are. So we sat down, we wrote those. Now I know those are going to change over time, but those are his main ones. And then we said, okay, what are your compulsions? Now, partly I'm doing this for me so that I can know and get clarity on what he's dealing with, but also what I'm doing is therapeutic for him. I'm showing him, I'm breaking out his OCD in a very simplistic way. I'm getting him to see. And then these are all the things that you have to do, your compulsions or safety behaviors to make OCD happy. When we break it out like that, it makes it easier for them to see what is OCD. Don't assume just because it's their problem that they fully understand it. A lot of times it's our job to actually present it to them in a way that is understandable that we can say, these are all the triggers that you have. So if it's chewy or disgusting, or it smells weird, the other ones that are actually his major ones. So I don't know why I forgot this. So he's got emetophobia as well. Fancy name for the fear of throwing up, but an extreme fear. Two of my kids have that. I had that growing up. You know, emetophobia is like, I want to, I want a piece of this. <laughs> and you will see that our kids issues. Cause he's got social anxiety as well. Now it's not like he's got a million different things. It's like, these are all the same things. It's anxiety and OCD. And those two are comorbid conditions. And then there's, these are all the themes around them. And so we were talking about that yesterday. My daughter was like, what, what, what OCD do I have? And I wanted to reiterate to her like OCD is OCD. We're just talking about like the different flavors of OCD. So he has a fear. One of his triggers is feeling too full because if he feels too full, then he might throw up. The hard part is with OCD, sometimes they actually do throw up. And so his OCD has the power to make him nauseous and it has the power to make him throw up. So that's unfortunate. So also fear of feeling too full. And the other one, which is related to that, but sometimes independent of that is the is nausea. So his OCD will say, you're feeling too nauseous. You can't eat this anymore. Or it will say you're too full. If you eat another bite, you're going to throw up. And then we got the whole disgust thing going on and then the chewing thing and the fear of choking, the fear of food scratching his throat. He does have like a theme of being afraid of getting poked is one of his like predominant themes. I know that's really weird, but that's a predominant theme. So the idea of something poking his throat as he chew as he swallows is one of his uh, triggers as well. Okay. So those are all his triggers. And then we sat down and we said, what are your compulsions? What are the things that you have to do? in order to be able to eat when you have those intrusive thoughts or feelings. And so you want them to realize that there's things that they do that grow their OCD 
And that the more they're, they're going to have to do those things, the bigger their OCD is going to grow. So we have to educate our kids on how this works. We have to educate ourselves on how this works. If you have a child with restrictive eating due to OCD, you definitely need a therapist, an OCD therapist. If you don't have one, I would definitely recommend going to iocdf.org slash find dash help to see, you know, you could put your state in there and see. And like I said earlier in this episode, you can go to nocd at treatmyocd.com because a regular therapist who's not trained in OCD is not going to know how to deal with ARFID. ARFID is so hard. I have a hard time dealing with ARFID and I am a therapist who is well-trained in anxiety and OCD. It's tricky because you're going to have to train your child or you want a therapist to train your child. But really as a parent, we, we are, we're the ones doing this 24 seven. And with eating, you're going to, you're going to have to be the one doing this. It's just nice to get the additional support and education from a, a trained OCD therapist, but we're going to have to teach our kids. So we went over his compulsions and these were his compulsions. So, and he told me these, and a lot of them weren't things that I had on my radar. So water, he said, drinking water is a compulsion. So if he feels like it's too chewy or the taste is weird, he has to drink a lot of water as he's eating. Over chewing is his compulsion. It will take him, it can take him up to three hours to eat maybe like 10 small little pizza bites, you know, like those little appetizers. Um, He can chew forever and he just can't swallow. So over chewing, distraction is a, a compulsion. It's a safety behavior. So safety behavior is something that you do so you can, safety behavior and compulsions are very similar. So using distraction for him is a way for him to not focus on his nausea. And you might think that's a good idea. And in fact, when we were really in the thick of things and he was losing all this weight early on and when he wasn't able to articulate any of his struggles, and we really weren't even able to work on it because you can't work on ARFID without a willing participant. You can do all the safety measures that we talked about, but you can't force a kid to do an exposure. And so as a parent, your hands are like literally tied and you're stuck in motivation mode. Like that's where you have to focus is just motivation and education until your child's ready because you can't force your child to eat. And that makes it worse, obviously. So we would use distraction. We'd use his iPad all the time. In fact, it kind of ruined family dinners because eventually he sat away from the family, watched his iPad so that he could eat because otherwise he was going to starve to death, literally. So he said distraction, which was good that he was aware of that. Spitting his food out, that is a compulsion that he does when he can't swallow. Not finishing. So a lot and that he said that, which I thought was very insightful too. So he'll be eating. He wouldn't have eaten all day long. He's eating... Pizza bites are one of his like, (laughs) so he's got some weird go-to foods. So pizza bites are a go-to food, but they're also very hard because we've been tackling some of his compulsions using pizza bites because it was his go-to food. We're making pizza bites hard, but that's okay. We're doing that because I know it's a food that he has been okay with in the past. So his OCD will say, oh, you're so full. And he's eaten like two of them, two tiny little like one inch pizza bites. So not finishing is a compulsion when he just starts eating, avoiding certain bites. So that's a compulsion and using sauces. And again, that goes back to his trigger, which is he thinks the food is dry, which will be scratchy or it's tasteless. And so he will actually put like teriyaki, right now it's teriyaki sauce. It used to be ketchup. And he will put that literally on anything, things that already have a very strong flavor. He'll put that sauce on, which 
to me is gross, <laughs> but OCD doesn't care because he wants it swimming in a sauce. So those are his compulsions. And so what we did, because he is now willing, is we made a spreadsheet. So I made, I went on Excel, nothing fancy. And at the top of the spreadsheet, I just put the date. The next column says food. The next column says any issues. And I put a one to 10 scale. And the next column says compulsions done. And then in the next column, I list his compulsions out and I put a number. So water is one, over chewing is two, distraction is three, spitting out is four. I gave them all numbers. And then the next column is compulsions not done. And so I'll explain this. It's very basic, but I've never been able to do this with him before because he really just wasn't on the bandwagon. So I have incentivized this and gamified it. And he's always wanting stuff. He likes to play a lot of video games that have a lot of like Robux and he's on something else right now that he likes a lot of in-game purchases. So he can't get that unless he does this sheet. And so he has to journal his food. And as long as he's journaling most of his food and like, I'm very, very flexible. So even if he wrote in it one time, I'm okay he gets a certain dollar amount at the end of the day. And he's very motivated by that. So you have to, and I, I think about it this way, cause I'm actually, I think currently giving him like $5 a day for filling out the sheet, which can seem very high. And you know, everyone's on a different budget, but there are people who are paying $250 a session for a therapist. And I think how many $5 would that be for one session? And him doing this is better than a 50 minute session with a therapist. Not that I would trade one for the other, but I'm saying he's not seeing an OCD therapist because I can't find one to treat my child. Um, and I actually think he wouldn't open up to anyone else at this point and we're doing the work. He wasn't doing the work recently, so I was getting nervous, but it's fine. Does see a therapist to talk to someone outside of mom for his other feelings, but he is getting $5 a day to do this, which is highly motivating for him. And then we put it in a folder and I like print it out like, 15 of these sheets and I keep refilling it and it's right next to where he normally sits. So he, visually he can see it and it's in a folder. So it's private so he can see it. And then when he eats, he'll write the date. I'll say, this is the food. So let's just say he wrote, um, chicken nuggets and then any issues. And then he'll write down what triggers were for that food. So he might say too chewy felt full. And then he has to give a one to 10 on like how big the struggle was for him eating that. And so he might say it was five. It was like kind of in between and then compulsions done. And that's why I gave every compulsion a number so that he doesn't have to re- he doesn't have to write them. So he might write compulsions done. Okay. Well, I had water, I had distraction, I spit it out and then compulsions not done. And he writes down the things that he did not do or that he tried not to do. And so basically we're doing this for awareness. It serves multiple purposes. These are not for exposures. This is literally, he's just tracking his food. So it does a bunch of things. One, it, it helps me because I can see a couple of things. I can see what his issues are as he's eating his food. So even if he can't verbally tell me, I can see that on the spreadsheet Two, it shows me what he's eating that day, which really helps me know how many calories he's getting. We don't want to harp on calories per se with your child. It depends on your approach, what your therapist is telling you with my son. I don't want to be like, You've only had 200 calories. I don't want him to, because I don't want him to be a calorie counter as he gets older. He wants calories. And we talk about it in general terms. In fact, for my grocery shopping this week, he's like, mom, can you get me cake? 
<laughs> I know that sounds so weird. And I did. I got him like this chocolate cake. I ordered him a couple of different cakes because we want calories in him. And even his endocrinologist said early in his first, I think first or second appointment, she said, actually it was the GI doctor also said, just get as many calories in any way that you can. Ice cream, cake, whatever. Just We just need to fill him up. We need to get calories in him. And so I forgot why I went on that tangent, but so it does help me to see how many cal not calories, but see, like, let's help me see how much he's eaten. Because a lot of times with three kids, you know, and grieving, not having my husband, not to throw that in there, but it does distract you. It's like, I'm just trying to stay afloat. And so I felt like his, his restrictive eating got worse after my husband died. And then like my ability to even focus on it or even to notice it completely disappeared because I was like, for three months, I was like, I felt like I was a zombie pretending to be alive. And like, just recently I'm coming out of it and trying to find my new purpose in life and focusing back on my kids more than just, are they like, you know, alive and realizing, oh my gosh, we have to do something about his OCD. It's just out of control. So this awareness of what he's eating is very helpful for me because I think sometimes we assume they're eating at different times or if they go to school or whatever we assume they're eating and they may not be. So this helps with that. It also helps him see how much he's eating. It helps him see what his issues are. It basically forces him to process every eating experience by filling out the sheet. Because first of all, it takes like a second. Sometimes I'll do it for him if he, because he doesn't like to write. It's kind of a pans thing, right? Like his handwriting is a little off and he can get stuck also. Not that this is, it could be perceived as an accommodation, but you know, if his letters aren't perfect, that's one of his very, very small side dishes, but he can get stuck on it to the point where like it loses its point, its purpose. And so sometimes if he's there and he doesn't really want to write it, I'll just be like, here, you tell me and I'll write it down for you. Cause right. We don't want to mix the work that we're doing. So we're not working on perfectionism or just right OCD or anything like that. We're working on restrictive eating. And so we just want to stay in our lane. That's what we're working on in this moment. And so it gets him to see what compulsions did I do? And if he was thirsty and he had a drink, like he's, you know, he'll be honest. He'll be like, honestly, I was just really thirsty. And I just took a sip. That wasn't a compulsion. He's very good at knowing, or he'll say, I really was full. And so I didn't finish because I really was full. I feel like right now we have like a good beat and he's being honest with himself and then compulsions not done. And so he'll list out, Hey, you know what? I wanted to over chew, but I didn't. So, or I, I wanted to not finish, but I we always say, don't let OCD have your last bite. You have your last bite. And so that's been kind of like a saying in our house. Like, you know, when you say like, you want to have the last word, it's like, you want to have the last bite. So if OCD says you're full or you're nauseous, even if you take one last bite and you say, that's for you, OCD, I get to decide when I stop eating. That's powerful. And so a lot of this circles around celebrating your child and celebrating their small steps. And so separate from the spreadsheet, we're also doing exposures. And yes, he gets rewards for those too. So it's been a very pricey ordeal, but when I quantify it and I put it in terms of how much I'd be paying a therapist, it's nothing compared to what that would be. And so it's treatment. He could go inpatient and that'd be very expensive. So um, these reinforcers are treatment, you know, think of it in that way. So, and you have to find what motivates your child. So he does exposures. Um, every eating experience is really an exposure for him. He's at that point, and maybe your child is too, that literally eating is an exposure. So what we do is sometimes he'll say, I'll give you an example. 
He was actually asking for exposures yesterday. And I said to him, why don't you get your pizza rolls? And then, cause he wanted to like pick a hard food. He was like, how about mac and cheese? Cause that's like a really hard food for him. And I said, just pick a food that you can normally eat. And then let's just talk about what compulsions you're not going to do. And so for him, it's really hard. Time is the hardest with a food that he's comfortable with. So he could eat pizza rolls and not spit it out. He could finish them. He doesn't have to avoid certain bites. He doesn't have to use sauces. He doesn't have to use distraction. So he's really making progress. I rather take something that he's doing really well in and then take it to the next level. And so we bought these timers and this, I wouldn't advise this with everyone. This is just works for him. Um, although it actually hasn't worked and we've had to pivot. <laughs> so I'll explain, but he overchews as one of his compulsions. And so what we did is well, we started off, it's all very new for us because it's only lately that he's been really, really wanting to work on it. So I would say in the last month that he's like, really like the whole, like charting his food is new. It's been over the last month. It's brand new. So I will keep you posted. Maybe I'll make an updated um, episode on where we're at after a few months with this. It's just up and down, up and down, right? So with his exposure, we said, okay, take the timer and let's see if you can eat. Like I started doing general things like, okay, you have to have all those pizza bites eaten by like 5.15. So I'll give him like 30 minutes to eat 10 really small pizza bites. But that overwhelmed him because he's an anxious person. So timing overwhelmed him. So yesterday he was trying to eat each bite under 30 seconds and he couldn't do it. And he was starting to get really frustrated and upset. And so we have to learn how to pivot. We like, we want our kids to feel success. And so I saw he was getting frustrated and I said, and he was really trying to earn, you know, this money for this exposure. And I said, let's switch it around. And how about you do this? You know, when you take a bite or, you know, pizza bites are like one bite. So you have to, and that's the other thing is he'll take little bites. I don't even think we actually have that on his sheet but he will take little tiny bites. That's a compulsion too. And so I said, pop the whole thing in your mouth. And they're like, like I said, they're like an inch long. They're very tiny. And then time yourself. And how long does it take you to swallow it? And then try to beat your, your best time. This was one, a more of an optimistic, hopeful approach because he's not losing. He is just tracking his time. He's trying to beat his own best time Two, It also brings awareness of how long does it take me to chew this? And so again, it's that awareness piece that we really want to bring to the surface. If our kids are not aware of how big the problem is because they're distracting themselves or they're just avoiding it, they're just not eating, they won't want to work on it. And with him, what we've I've really drilled home is this will not go away. And what he realizes is that Yes, he could take the medication. So he could take Cyprexa. And it, it is really comforting to know that there is this medicine that did work for him. Hopefully it would work for him again if we were in that situation that he could gain weight rather rapidly if we needed to. That's very comforting. But what he also is aware of is the only way to really get through this is to go, you can't avoid it. Like you have to go through this problem. And if he doesn't build his OCD muscles, this will be a lifelong problem. And I think because he's older now and he's 11, he had that epiphany. He's like, I don't want this. So we have to get our kids to have that awareness where they're motivated. Like he is finally motivated because he's like, this sucks. I don't like this. I don't like the fact that this isn't going to go away. And so we have to get our kids to realize that the only way that this goes away is when you call OCD's bluff. And that's the kind of conversation that we've been having is 
when OCD tells you you're nauseous and you stop eating, then every time you eat, OCD is going to make you nauseous because OCD has that power. Or as soon as he stops eating and then he doesn't feel nauseous anymore, I will sometimes point out, isn't it interesting how you're not nauseous anymore? Like OCD has a switch and you have to be very careful how you approach that because it can feel very blaming. Like if I say, oh, and now you're not nauseous anymore. You were just nauseous and now you're not. So it was in your head. We don't want to convey that. Even if you don't say it was in your head, we don't want to have a tone that kind of says that. It's a similar message, but it's saying it's interesting how OCD or it's scary and upsetting, but it's interesting how OCD has the power to turn on and turn off nausea. And so when you feel nauseous, when you're eating and you power through it, you're sending a message to OCD that says, even if you make me feel nauseous, I'm still going to eat this. And OCD doesn't like that as he's improved and we're still in the thick of things. So I don't want to like paint like a rosy picture, but he has made big improvements in the last month. He's starting to be able to do more and more. I'm highlighting for him. I'll say, have you noticed that it's easier to eat or are there certain things that you can do? And he's, so we celebrate his successes too. And he'll say, yeah, mom, I'm, you know, even when I'm nauseous, I, if I still eat it, I feel less nauseous as I go on. And so connecting those dots for your child is really important too. So that was a long podcast. I'm sorry, (laughs) but that's what we're doing over here. So we are charting his food. We're doing exposures. Sometimes just a regular meal turns into an exposure. So it's not always a plotted and planned thing where we're like, pick something out. We're going to do exposure. Every time that kid puts something in his mouth, that is an opportunity for an exposure because he can choose what compulsions not to do. So sometimes before he sits down, he'll say, okay, I'm not going to watch my iPad and I'm not, and he'll like, he'll list out the things that he's not going to do compulsion wise, or sometimes he's in the middle of it and he was just eating something and it, it was not an exposure, but like, just like I said, eating in general can turn into an exposure and he'll say, Oh, I feel really sick. And I'll say, I'll notice if he's not eating something and I'll say, so how did that go? Cause now in the past, if I said that he would kind of either get angry or he would lie and say, he's fine. But we are like in a rhythm, thankfully now. And so if I say, how'd that go? They'll say, eh, I started to feel like I was too full. And then I will say, well, you know, you don't want OCD to have the last bite. And he may or may not leave it. And that's okay. Or I might say, you know, there's only one left. If you finish that last one, you know, you can earn blah, 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 but you don't have to. We don't want to really pressure our kids. So the more we make it about them, And I've said to him kind of in a little bit of a harsh way, but I've said, this is your deal. Like you're going to grow up, you're going to live your own life. And this isn't, this is going to follow you. It's going to leave my house and it's going to follow you to your house. It's not my struggle. I can't fix this for you. I can't go into your mouth and make you eat. And you're the only one who can do this. And also I noticed his language. Sometimes he'll say, like he reports to me, you know, like, mom, I, I couldn't, oh, he'll say, I'm sorry. I was trying to think how he phrases it. I'm so sorry, mom. I couldn't eat that. And I listen for those words and I'll say, you don't have, you don't have to apologize to me. You know, it's not your fault. First of all, OCD is not your fault, but secondly, this isn't my battle. So you're not doing anything to me or disappointing me. This is about you. And when he does do things that are amazing, I'll say, you should feel so proud of yourself. That language doesn't come naturally for me. Cause a lot of times it's like, I'm so proud of you. But again, that's, that's saying that like, like his eating has something to do with our relationship. Like I'm proud of him. It's semantics, I know, but it is important when it comes to 
their OCD battle, that they own it. And so our language can help with that by saying you should be proud of yourself or you're killing it today. Or like you are being really brave, putting that on him and not relating it to my emotions, whether I'm happy for him or I'm proud of him. He should be happy for himself. He should be proud of himself. So that's what we're doing over here. I really hope that me being a bit vulnerable and giving you like a little window into our world helps you in your world. You know, that's always been my style is to be very vulnerable and to be very open and to teach through my own experiences, even when my own experiences are messy currently and not complete. I'm just hoping that that by sharing our story, that it helps your story as well. So I hope you're enjoying my podcast. If you are, please don't forget to hit a star on iTunes. I haven't had a review in a like at all in June. <laughs> so if you're enjoying my podcast and you have an extra second, you're like, wow, she just spilled all of her stuff. Please feel free to share with other people what you enjoy about this podcast. Those reviews do help the show because then people notice it. It gets in people's feeds and then more people get helped. And that's really the name of the game. So I appreciate anyone who takes extra second to leave a comment where you are listening to your podcast. And I will be back next Tuesday, same time, same place. I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. I know we're trying to find our sparkle back here as well. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 